because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. In this chapter, the Most High is talking about the priests um, for rejecting the Torah and knowledge. And the Most High also condemns pagan worship later on in this chapter as well. And this is something I will be diving in super deep into my next couple episodes. But moving on, um, the fact that the Most High says that his people are basically doomed from the lack of knowledge. This is like the cold hard truth, especially today. It's like watch, watching everyone walking straight off a cliff. We have to remember the war is spiritual and Satan is executing his plans right in front of our faces. And one by one, you know, we're we're being sucked in. In Isaiah 56 verse 10, it says that Israel's watchmen are blind. They all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. They lie around and dream and they love to sleep. See, one of the biggest lies on the face of this earth is human history. And there's a huge reason why we're being lied to. In Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9, it says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, Look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations. And even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. So you guys know the saying, history repeats itself. Well, see the history that we know, the corrupted one that's taught by the elite, behind that, there's a hidden version that makes clear as day all the things that don't make sense. There's a second history from the public filled with secret societies and lost civilizations and unexplained events that, you know, connect the missing puzzle pieces that make up our human history. So... I know you guys are all wondering, like, what am I getting at? You know, what's she trying to say? So, guys, here's the thing. What would you do, okay? What would you do if you found out that the end times and the Antichrist was connected to giants and aliens and mythological beings and, you know, the conspiracy theories? And I know you guys are probably like, what? Like, is this girl crazy? You know, like I've even when I talk about this with people, they look at I see the look people give me and it's like, hold on, hold on. You know, if you give me a second to get into it, it might kind of come together when you see the timeline of things, especially world history. Like I said, you know, history repeats itself. And to sum it up, what I will be discussing in this episode and most likely I'm going to have to split this topic up into several episodes because it is a hefty topic. Um, basically, what I'm trying to say is that there has been at least in the past 6,000 years a scheme being carried out by fallen angels and you know the secret societies here on earth and the descendants of giants which in Hebrew they are called the Nephilim and you know they're in they're set they have a plan they've been working on and they're set on enslaving humankind under an oppressive matrix that is completely hostile to the most high god and the warnings encoded in the scripture were preserved for a specific generation concerning the ancient conspiracy to enslave us all So as I got older and I started researching my personal history as a black woman, you know, I became outraged, which I think many of us do when we go on that little journey. And 
I mean, I grew up in the church, and I went through the whole, oh, Christianity is a white man's religion, it keeps us mentally slave, blah, blah, blah. Like, I went through the whole, you know, the whole situation there. And long story short, um, I went through a life-changing moment spiritually, and because I knew we were being lied to, and I didn't know how to find the truth, I remember just breaking down and praying and asking the Most High to just show me the truth. And I was like, I'm doing all this research and I know something isn't right. I just want the truth. So the only thing that the Spirit told me to do was read my Bible. And I was like, man, okay, all right. So (laughs) I started rereading my Bible. And what shook me all the way up was that I felt like I was reading an entirely different book okay and the things that didn't stand out before they stood all the way out so like when we read scripture we have to remember it is an ancient hebrew text so the meaning of some of the words they don't have the same meaning as they do in our you know in our modern english so i will advise anyone who is studying or breaking down scripture I recommend buying um, like a Hebrew Bible dictionary, um, like Strong's Concordance is really good. Or there's even an app called Blue Letter Bible and it allows you to read your Bible um, and you have the option to click on a particular verse and read it side by side um, to the Hebrew text, which is really cool. And it's an awesome way to gain understanding on a verse in its original context. And it has Strong's Concordance already built into the app. So You know, it's an all-in-one deal. It's for free. So I really recommend, um, if you do like reading your Bible on the go, um, that's a really good app. But to continue, most scripture in the Bible, it tends to go back to the beginning, which is Genesis. And Genesis is what leads the Bible and, you know, humankind. Once the plots and the doctrines are fully developed in the scripture, you know, it all returns back to Genesis. So if you guys you know, are catching my drift. What I'm essentially saying is the Bible begins with Genesis and it ends in it as well. Um, You know, it's the foundation for scripture and it decodes the true history of mankind, you know, and our journey in, you know, our future and the most high design scripture to keep a history of a people and their God. And, you know, those people being the Israelites and their God being Yahweh, the most high, you know, creator of the universe. So scripture is all about their history and religion and the tribulations of their holy covenant. So, you know, I was saying I was rereading my Bible and it was like I was reading a whole new book. Things that didn't make sense was making sense and things were jumping out at me that I completely overlooked. And when I tell you guys, I went completely down the rabbit hole on reading my Bible, especially when I was um, reading Genesis and I got to the days of Noah. I just want to read those verses, um, which, you know, it sent me on a mission. <laughs> so I just want to read those verses. Genesis 6 verses 1 to 8 says, When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born unto them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. 
when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So guys, I found it so odd that they would so nonchalantly just lie that info in there that angels had coupled with human women and produced these Nephilim who were these heroes of old men of renown. Now, I don't know about anyone else, but as a child, I was personally obsessed with Greek mythology and reading about gods and goddesses and the titans and the whole hoopla. Um, so when reading this, I went on a complete trip to find out more on this topic because it was very interesting to me that it was mentioned right before the flood. And I believe this isn't a coincidence. You know, nothing mentioned in scripture is without reason. Um... The ancient meaning of the word hero is not understood today in the same context. Um, because, I mean, when I read this passage before, I used to think, oh, cool, you know, the earth was so wicked and they had, you know, heroes trying to save the day or make everything right. Boy, was I completely off, like, so off the rails. It was insane. Like, it's not even anything remotely close. So I do want to get into the ancient meaning of the word hero um, it's not understood today in the same context. In Webster's New Format Dictionary, it defines hero as a man of superhuman powers or a demigod. Um, hero is also translated in this uh, scripture from the Hebrew word gaborim, which is used regarding the giants. And it meant mighty because of their strength and stature. So now we have a very cryptic mystery where a race of superhuman demigods or giants, now they're a part of the flood narrative. And, you know, the concept of these types of heroes, they're in cultures all around the world. Um, and they also refer to a specific race in the antediluvian period. Like when you get into Greek mythology, the Greek heroes are all recorded to be, you know, a hybrid between mortals and so-called gods, making them semi-divine. Greek poet Hesiod, who was active during sometime during 750 to 650 BC, he actually wrote about these uh, semi-divine heroes in his famous work called Works in Deep. And he literally called these demigods heroes, men of great renown. Now, this exact wording cannot really be a coincidence as well as it can't be completely separate from the text in Genesis that calls them the exact same thing. So Hesiod also wrote about these titans and demigods and he recorded their birthdays and their achievements into a library of the oldest fables of his era. He really believed in these Greek gods and he believed in the stories that were told about them and he believed that they were important and that they governed the destinies of men and that it must be so. Also, Greek philosopher Euhemerus became famous for actually stating that Greek myths were historical events from an earlier age that just became distant memories. 
But other than, you know, Greek mythology, um, how about the text on those clay tablets from ancient Mesopotamia? You know, these texts are in museums all around the world. And they started putting some of these texts, they're quoted in textbooks and schools, you know, as a part of secular history, which is very misleading because it's being used as a weapon to discredit Yahweh as the most high God and creator of the universe. Um, but these legends on these tablets from Mesopotamia, um, they come from the antediluvian Sumerians. Uh, and the Sumerians were the first civilization to ever exist. So a lot of people think that Egypt was the first, but Egypt got a lot of their uh, stuff from Sumeria. But yeah, uh, the Sumerians, their tablets were taken by the Babylonians and Akkadians and Assyrians. And these texts became a huge part of their culture. So in the Bible, when, you know, the Israelites were living amongst those people, the Canaanites and they were surrounded by those guys. That's what that's where those people got those religions from and, you know, all those gods. Um, but one of the most famous Sumerian legends from these tablets is the Epic of Gilgamesh, which talks about this age of these kind of heroes, you know, and this age was ruled by in the Sumerian text. They called them Anunnaki giants and these Anunnaki giants thrived before the flood, but somehow thrived in the post-diluvian world as well so this is actually supported in biblical text which says there was nephilim in those days and also after and what i find interesting is anunnaki means those who from heaven came and nephilim is defined as those who were cast down so the sumerian text um was essentially about the same types of beings only the Sumerian text is going to give us a little bit more information um, because it's about those people who lived amongst them. Um, whereas the Bible specifically focuses on the Israelites and Yahweh, most high creator of all things in the universe. So when you read the Sumerian text, it says that humans were worshiping these beings as gods and the Sumerian text says that man was created by these beings to be a slave race to them. Can you imagine? So that gives us a little juice onto what was happening before the flood. If there was Nephilim or Anunnaki in this time before the flood, or if you want to think of them as Greek gods, whatever, people were worshiping these beings. And these people thought that these beings made them because it plays into that whole phenomenon of, you know, people believing what they can see. But it's clear, you know, it's clear that the Bible and most ancient scriptures and legends, you know, and the myths, they all witnessed or testified to a powerful race of hu superhuman beings, you know, and these beings ruled as kings and demigods, you know, in the antediluvian period. And, you know, they ruled over the humans. So, if they existed, which they obviously did, they somehow perished from the world, you know, and have been left out and forgotten by modern history. And, you know, they've been pushed aside as myth and legend. Author and historian Susan Bauer says that Western historians have trained university systems to believe that only science is infallible. These historians do not trust in anything that goes against Isaac Newton's understanding of the universe. 
So, guys, they also use the same reason as well to belittle scripture and make it seem ridiculous. But the thing is, why ignore the Nephilim race out of history? A race that was clearly both real and powerful to have such an impression on all these ancient eras. Um, And even to this day, since many stories and movies are inspired by them, which um, Hollywood loves to do ever so (laughs) discreetly. But my thing is, why were the Nephilim introduced right before the flood? What impact did they have on the ancient world? What kind of a people were they? You know, were they the reason for the world turning so wicked? Or, you know, were they the reason for the flood? But the Bible doesn't really dive too deep into it. But to understand this mystery, we're going to have to backtrack and dive into the events leading up to the flood. Um, even though this is only six chapters deep into the Bible, we have to backtrack and figure this out. So like I mentioned before, when you're doing research like this, and I notice this is what hinders us um, from having a deeper understanding is the Bible is strictly about the Israelites and creator of this universe, Yahweh. So... The Bible doesn't dive into the history of the Egyptians. It doesn't dive into the history of the Sumerians. It only dives into the history of the Israelites. So when you're putting together puzzle pieces, you have to be open-minded. You have to be open-minded and, you know, read these other scriptures from these other peoples and see what their history is and how it coincides where it connects to the biblical narrative because this is why i started this podcast they all connect to the bible narrative those are the missing puzzle pieces to the whole human history okay and this is what i will be diving into on this podcast i love history i love truth and I just I'm so excited to share this stuff with you guys and when I tell you guys truth is stranger than fiction okay history has a ripple effect a lot of people think oh well that's in the past but what a lot of people don't know is you know 30 seconds ago was the past as well every action that is being carried out for this plan to enslave us all, it's been happening for over 6,000 years. So it's important to know history. It's important to know the steps that we're taking to hide this stuff from us because right now our generation is the clueless generation. They have us right where they want us. So by the time of Noah, scripture says that the world had gotten so wicked. So how in the world did this happen in only 10 generations? In the book Antiquities of the Jews by Jewish historian Josephus around 90 to 95 AD, he records that the lineage of Seth, who was the son of Adam and Eve after Abel was murdered, He says that Seth and his lineage continued their reverence to Yahweh as the most high God of the universe for seven generations. 
Also, according to Josephus, Adam and Eve had 33 sons and 23 daughters, even though the Bible says that they only had other sons and daughters after Seth was born. He also states that by the 10th generation, mankind was a complete and total mess, and that after the 7th generation, even the righteous lineage of Seth started to slip and become like the people around them. And they began to dishonor God by not crediting to him all things, even though everything exists because of him. So sometime between this period the sons of God or angels began to procreate with the daughters of men producing their own seed who were these heroes of old but why would the woman even get with these sons of God to create a new race the mainstream Christianity point of view says that the sons of God were actually the righteous lineage of Seth who got with the women from the lineage of Cain but this clearly can't be the case because how could two humans produce a physically superior race of humanoids? Like these things were described as giants, unless the term giant is just exaggerating. Um, so if the lineage of Seth was a righteous people and they got sucked into the mix of evil, we have to assume that the violence was coming from the branch of Cain. So if we follow this line of thought, it would be from Cain's seed that the violence and evil will start cooking up in the antediluvian world. Even though the Bible doesn't physically state this, the only thing that scripture says regarding Cain that supports this is where Cain murders his brother Abel and also in the New Testament in John 3 verse 12 that says Cain belonged to Satan for the murder of his brother and also in Jude 1 verse 11 it says that evil was the way of Cain. So we have some context or verses stating that he was evil but Genesis itself it doesn't plainly say so. Okay, so what I did find odd in Genesis is that it records only the first couple generations of Cain and their accomplishments, um, which I find odd because if Cain and his lineage were so thoroughly corrupted, why would scripture record it forever for all future generations to see their accomplishments? And it's not even like scripture focused on the accomplishments of the righteous seed of Seth, who noah came forward from who the israelites came from which is who the bible is essentially all about so i thought it was odd that genesis mentioned you know all the accomplishments of cain and we don't really hear anything about noah or anyone else before the flood but i do want to summarize genesis 4 where it tells us of the lineage of cain um so it says that Cain bore a son named Enoch, and the first city that Cain built was named after his first son, Enoch. Then Enoch had, and I'm probably going to butcher all these names, I feel like everybody does, but Enoch had Erod, who had Mehuyel, who had Methushel, who then had Lamech. So Lamech now, we're in the fifth generation of Cain, and Lamech, he was the first polygamist. He took two wives for himself, one named Ada, one named Zillah. So he had a wife who gave birth to two sons here. It says the son's name, the first one name was Jabal, who was the first nomad and raised livestock. And Jubal, he was the inventor of the art of music. Now, the second wife, she had another two children. There was a son named Tubal Cain, who was the father of, you know, Smithcraft. So he worked with metal. He worked with metals. Sorry. And. Then there was a daughter. The daughter's name was Nama, but scripture doesn't mention anything about her. Just says, hey, he had a daughter and her name was Nama. So the account of Cain's lineage 
It actually ends with Lamech stating that he had killed a man in self-defense. And if his ancestor Cain was cursed seven times over, then he would be cursed 77 times over. So even though this passage, it does mention some sins like the murder Lamech committed and, you know, the polygamy of Lamech. When you connect it with the sins of Cain who murdered his brother, it still doesn't really give us any basis on how the earth had completely lost its marbles and become so evil. Okay, so like I mentioned before, the lineage of Seth was still righteous up until the seventh generation. So it was after the seventh generation was when evil really started to corrupt the righteous seed almost completely by the tenth generation. So something huge must have been taking place in the lineage of Cain to corrupt his seed as well as influencing over to the lineages of Seth. Or some kind of outside force was the start of this corruption. Lewis Ginsburg, who is the author of The Legends of the Bible, he notes that Cain built monuments to immortalize his name, as well as 60 cities which had walls to keep people out. Josephus mentions that Cain didn't repent for killing Abel and continued on with his life, doing everything for pleasure, even if it meant harming those around him and he became wealthy through plundering his neighbors. Josephus also states that he encouraged his followers to do the same. He also notes that Cain introduced weights and measures to the world, where before people were generous, Cain led people to be selfish and all things had to be measured. Josephus and Ginsburg, they both label Cain as the father of evil and corruption. But calling him this, it strays from Genesis where he really wasn't charged with corrupting the antediluvian world. But if Cain was really doing all of this in the second generation, then it makes sense that you know, his lineage would become so wicked by the seventh generation. But the details that scripture gives us, as well as outside sources, when Lamech steps on the scene is when things get interesting. So we know that Lamech was the first polygamist. In Josephus, it says that with both of his wives, he actually had 77 children. And of those 77 children, only four were mentioned in the Bible. And Josephus only mentions three of the children where he says Jubal. Um, Jubal was credited as the father of music, which Genesis mentioned. And then he talks about Jubal Cain, who is credited as the father of metalwork, which again, G Genesis supports. Um, but Josephus also mentions that Jubal Cain was also... He was very strong. He surpassed all other men in strength, and he also excelled in the martial arts, which is really interesting. Um, and I know that the Bible doesn't really talk about Nama or credit Lamech's daughter with anything, but what I found very interesting is in the legends of the Bible, it says that Nama used to bang cymbals to call all the worshipers to pay their homages to the idols was very interesting um josephus described cain and his seed as basically bad to the bone and they kept getting worse and worse each generation um, and that by the sixth generation, they were just a hot mess looking to create a great evil in the antediluvian world, which they succeeded. So 
Before I continue, I want to talk about something that is off topic, but it's still super relevant to this entire situation and this entire topic. Um, I want to slide in some information here about the Freemasonry Brotherhood and their legends that connect to this mystery. So in the Dolan Manuscript of the Legends of the Craft, written by Freemason Albert Mackey, um, it lists seven sacred sciences so i'm just going to read you these sacred sciences here um number one was grammar which was taught to humans to speak and write truly number two was rhetoric to speak in subtle terms number three was dialect which was to teach humans to discern truth and falsehood number four was arithmetic to teach humans to compute all manners of numbers Number five, geometry, to teach humans to measure the earth and all things. And this is the main science of masonry, as a side note. Number six was music, to teach humans song and the language of instruments. And number seven was astronomy, to teach humans the course of the planet and the stars. Now, rhetoric's original state was simply the art of persuasion, while grammar was the molding and education of men through reading. Now, there's a reason why I stopped everything to mention this, because these seven sacred sciences are huge in, you know, these secret societies. Well, look, Genesis credited some of these with no explanation to Lamech's children. And also Josephus mentioned that Cain introduced measures and weights to his people, and he started measuring all things, which turned humankind selfish. So would you look at that, these seven sacred sciences of Freemasonry and all these secret societies, Cain's lineage was actively using these and invented these. Hmm. So I told you guys in the beginning of this podcast that a lot of things are in connection to the end days of the Antichrist. Um, you know, these Nephilim as well as these secret societies and conspiracy theories and Freemasonry, you know, a lot of these uh, secret societies, um, they're all linked to the serpent in Eden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But, you know, that's a topic for another day. But I do want to dive into Freemasonry's account of this era as well to put together some of these missing puzzle pieces. So in the book, History of Freemasonry, it has a theory that these seven sacred sciences were first taught to Adam by God while he was still in Eden. And they say that Adam knew these sciences and they were so valuable because they contained the secrets to the universe. And apparently Adam had mastered the wisdom provided for them and he did he didn't use this gift for evil. He used it for good. It goes on to say that this advanced knowledge was possessed by the antediluvians and also the early people of Babel when they were going to build the Tower of Babel. Um, and when God said, oh, if the people are speaking one language and they begin to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. So this meant that Adam was actively practicing the craft in Eden and also after. But when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, they were corrupted by evil and then got kicked out of Eden by God. The Freemasonry legends go on to say, okay, 
The Freemason legends go on to say that Adam didn't forget these sacred sciences and continued to practice them in a very limited way after, but he always practiced them in a righteous manner. So if Adam had taught any of this knowledge to his children to be used for good, then this sacred knowledge was passed down to two separate branches, the righteous branch of Seth and the corrupt branch of Cain. Josephus mentions that Seth and his lineage were farmers up until the time of the flood and that they had knowledge on the seventh science called astronomy. It makes sense seeing that it would help them regarding knowing seasons for planting and harvesting, right? Now, Cain, on the other hand, as we can see, used this knowledge, um, especially the fifth science of geometry or masonry. Um, he used this to build his many cities. And remember, he was measuring all things. In the history of Freemasonry, it also mentions that this particular science was used to build things all the way up to the flood. And it also alluded to projects like the Great Pyramids being built. Okay, but honestly, I don't want to dive all the way into Freemasonry's history and, you know, their legends. But long story short, um, in their whole history, it says that Cain and his corrupt seed also had knowledge of these sacred sciences. And Cain's first son, Enoch, was the one who embraced those sacred sciences and he perverted them with evil. So basically the knowledge of the universe was in the hands of people that hated God. And this perversion of these sciences are what spawned these ancient secret societies, which still thrive today. So Cain's son, Enoch, he took astronomy and created astrology out of it and sun worship. And, you know, also their descendants were worshiping other gods instead of the true God of the universe. Um, and this Enoch here, he also implemented pagan rituals and ceremonies to go with their whole new religion that they were cooking up. So moving on now, we can see how everything kind of got out of control when you also read the history of Freemasonry and add that in there. Um, but my thing is... Now, where do the Nephilim come in? Because now we know, okay, this is how everybody became so wicked. But where do the Nephilim come in in this narrative? If Cain's lineage was really out here losing their marbles and wickedness and an outside force came on in, which would have been these fallen angels or sons of God, or like the Sumerian tablets called them the Anunnaki, Right. If these guys came on down, those who from heaven came down or those who were cast down and was like, hey, you know, let's do a thing here. And essentially they kind of became partners in crime. These men from Cain's lineage, they clearly gave their daughters away to violate these laws of creation, you know, and produce a new race of giants who are these demigods of fame. But what I'm thinking I'm going to do is I think I'm going to end this episode right here. I want to get more into in the next episode, you know, how these angels came on down and, you know, just had children with these human women. And what would be the motive to do this? Why would why would these angels want to come and have children with human women? Right. So honestly, this it's so much to dive into and. I, I'm really thinking I'm going to have to break up a lot of these topics into a couple episodes, but I am going to end it here. Um, but like I mentioned, all of this connects with our human history, you know, and this has major connections to the end time prophecies and the origins of the Antichrist. But yeah, man, you know, honestly, this was amazing. My throat is super dry. Um, if you guys do have any questions, because I know it's a lot of information, 
um, just send me a message. You guys could send me a message on Instagram, which is at till Shiloh come. Or if you're listening to me on the anchor app, send me a voice note. Um, I'd love to hear any questions. Um, I'd be so happy to answer them in the next episode. But yeah, I also have a music mix coming um, shortly. So be on the lookout for that. But other than that, I hope you guys have a lovely week. You know, um, it was so awesome doing this. I'm so happy I got in and did my first ever episode. I can't believe. I hope if this one was garbage, you guys let me know. I just hope I'll get more comfortable and do a lot better next time. But, you know, till next week, guys, have a lovely week. God bless you guys. And I'll be back next week. Bye.